fresh out of the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are concluding our miniseries, Can't Stop the Peeling, covering all the films written by Jordan Peele. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series, because to this date, there are none. As soon as the new ones come out, we will watch them, review them, and, you know, give them our old up-down vote. Until then, dear dear <laughs> listener, you'll just have to wait to see what Jordan Peele does next. Wade, how are you doing? I'm good, Emma. Thank you. I'm excited to be talking about this movie. Excited that this is the end of another miniseries. Super exciting. We've just like a halved the length of our miniseries every time so far. So I think we can announce now that our next miniseries will be one movie. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to be rating YouTube videos pretty soon and then all the way down to TikToks. That's right. I'm also doing well this evening. I'm especially doing well. Because, oh, how are you, Emmett? Because <laughs> I guess today, I'm out here acting like episode one. Because today we're honored to have a special guest. He's an actor, a singer, and a style icon perhaps best known to our audience for single-handedly bringing the beanie back into style. Please welcome Corey Simmons. Woo! I'm actually missing my beanie, and I am so embarrassed. Oh my goodness. I'm flattered. <laughs> but I wasn't, I really wasn't prepared for that title. Also, New York is alive and popping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And you called me a style icon. Truly. Really. I'm what flattered. Else is there? Thank you. <laughs> Corey, what is your previous experience? With the work of Jordan Peele, have you seen Get Out um, or Keanu or his work in, with Key and Peele? The earliest I can remember, like encountering Peele, is a little bit in, in, in Key and Peele. Just seeing like the different sketches, namely the one where is it Obama? Is he is he playing Obama and he's like greeting all the mm. different. Uh, politicians mm -hmm. that one's really funny because <laughs> it's just and then what people have done in in the meme world with that that <laughs> clip but i haven't really seen a full episode and i'm i'm kind of ashamed to say that uh, that's kind of wrong of me but i've seen get out a few times and i've resonated with it so that one time <laughs> i went over a white friend's house in college i sent my location to <laughs> a friend and I, I wait you know these people <laughs> I, I wasn't going to ask who it was but <laughs> and I sent my location to James Hall um just being like I mean I think I just sent it. I didn't give any context just so that like he <laughs> he could play the, the the cop role and you know if if things went awry would bail me out of white horror. So. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see James playing Little Harry. That'd be so good. We got to get James on the podcast. Oh my God, yes. Well, did they did they try and steal your brain? No, not quite. But his mother did make this really good sweet tea, hmm. and it it did make me think a lot. There was also was it a cast? No, it was a casserole, and that's a very like. In the black community, casserole is such a it's a it's a distant thing. Like it's as I think that might be as far white as you could go in a lot of areas. Is just the whole idea of casserole. <laughs> and I mean, I my mother I grew up with some casserole, like a breakfast casserole and other things. But it was it was a really it was a really damn good casserole. Wow, as good as it gets. Yeah. As much as white culture has to offer, <laughs> a casserole and the hokey pokey. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So now is where I'm supposed to uh, give a three-sentence summary of this movie. This movie is about a woman played by Lupita Nyong'o. The name of the character is... Adelaide. Adelaide. She is on vacation with her family in the 
same old town where a really creepy thing happened to her when she was a little kid. She keeps getting the creepy feeling like something terrible is going to happen. And then something terrible does happen. Her doppelganger shows up with an entire doppelganger family and proceed to wreak havoc. It becomes a family kind of escape adventure horror movie and finally culminates with a showdown on the beach between her and her doppelganger and then like back down into like into these tunnels deep under the earth it's very symbolic it has lots of deep meaningful symbols all across it both religious and pop culture referential so there's some interesting stuff going on there It is like a great actress giving two incredible performances in the two lead roles of this film, either one of which is like worthy of the highest awards in the land together in one movie. Truly incredible. And everyone else in this movie as well. So yeah, just a great film. Something that I'm sure was technically almost impossible to do with like doubling all of those people in every single scene. Just like the the amount of filming that you have to do. It's like twice as much, right? Wade, do you know? What I could tell that they did is that they shot every scene twice. Mm-hmm. And they would do it on consecutive days. So they would basically be like, which half of the scene do you want to play today? And shoot all of that and like mark the blocking. And then people would remember it. And then they would play the other side the next day. That's crazy. And what about in the action scenes when uh, they're fighting themselves? Yeah, I mean, there were always stand-ins mm-hmm. for whichever part the actor was not playing there is always like a stand-in in the shot and basically they would like film each shot twice one with the actual actor playing both roles and with a stand-in in the opposite role and then they cgi the two actors together wow and for the action stuff i mean i think there are just like stunt double stand-ins who are playing the opposite and then they came in and and played the opposite I also read that Jordan himself would do the standard work a lot of the time. That's nuts. And play opposite opposite someone else. I love that. All right, so Wade, I'm kicking it to you for the quick uh-huh. stats on this film. Uh, yes. This film was written and directed by Jordan Peele. In the time since he did Get Out, he produced through his company Monkey Paw Black Klansman. Oh, wow. The TV shows The Last OG... He also was an actor in the Twilight Zone reboot show and in Toy Story 4 with Keegan-Michael Key. Forget about that. Pretty busy in those two years. The score for this movie is by Michael Abels. That's all the same crew as Get Out. And I think the score in this is incredible. Really slaps. Incredibly terrifying. The Get Out score is scary too. But this one, I feel like, goes pretty hard. Even the stuff that's like not the scary stuff. Mm -hmm. Like just the actual incidental score for the scenes is really great. It runs one hour and 56 minutes. Corey, how did you feel about the pacing? It was great. So I, this was like the third or fourth time that I've seen it. I actually watched it again today just to like mm. keep it fresh. And specifically, just any scene with Lupita and specifically as Adelaide in it, like mm-hmm. talk about pacing. Those scenes were just really interesting in the way her dialogue, knowing what we know about her in the end, mm. that she is that tethered i i tried to look at the movie in a way of like okay so this is really the tethered adelaide or whatever and Mm -hmm. and watch the way that she when she's not when no one's looking at her how she behaves how she moves and it's just really interesting how the the perspective her perspective is it's it's kind of robotic it's it's almost like it's i don't want to say animalistic but like it just it just there was this bare bones quality to it that was kind of not human but then still very human mm. at the same time mm-hmm. i heard I, well she she blew my mind <laughs> with this she really did for sure uh the film was released march 22nd 2019 by universal pictures it was just universal this time there was no blumhouse because the budget was too big for a blumhouse movie to support but uh jason blum the individual produced it just not his company so the budget of this was 20 million dollars which was four times the budget of get out which i think you see that on the screen for sure like you can immediately tell how much bigger this movie is it made 256 million dollars 
pretty much the exact same amount of money that Get Out did. Mm-hmm. Even with being four times the budget, this film was still the 13th most profitable film of 2019. Nice. So it was a huge hit. And as we said last time, like a huge hit as an original movie, not a sequel to something. Mm-hmm. A huge hit as an R-rated movie, a huge hit as a horror movie. Things that don't happen a lot. The critical reception was positive. It has actually an 81 on Metacritic to get out to 85, which is pretty impressive. My review quote is from A.A. Dowd at the AV Club, who writes, Us proves, if nothing else, that Peel has become a blockbuster visionary, fully in control of his craft. It is a privilege to step back into the funhouse of his imagination. Yeah. Having said that, the critical reception was very positive, but there was no love for the Oscars on this one, like there was on Get Out. Also, the general audience reception to this was mixed. And that's what I got. Now, Corey, question for you. The movie Us, Jordan Peele's classic, flop or bop? I'm going to say this was a bop. This is this is a strong bop for me. Hell yeah. All right, Wade. Flop or bop? It's a bop for me. I love this movie. I have a lot of thoughts about this movie, but this is what I think the bottom line is. The two performances that Lupita Nyong'o is giving at the heart of this film, that, that she's being asked to deliver, because this movie does not work if you don't care about her. She is delivering. And those two performances, I think, are some of the best ever put to film in any genre, of any year, no qualifiers needed. I think we are lucky to be living in a time where we get to watch them. Emmett, flop or bop? It's a bop. It's incredible. I go in for symbols. I go in for that deep <laughs> lore, backstory, weird stuff. In, you know, just like, okay, so let's put it all together. Let's break out the the red string and figure it all out, how it all went down. And I have done some research, and I found that there are, in fact, tunnels underneath our city, and certainly there are tunnels underneath New York City. So none of the three of us is safe at all. So just bear that in mind. And you too, dear listener, wherever you are, there are probably tunnels underneath your city or suburban area, or even if you live on a little farm out in the middle of nowhere, there could be a tunnel from an old gold mine right up underneath your farm. So watch out. I will share uh, an anecdote about seeing this movie to kick us off, if you all are so inclined to listen. Yeah, I saw it in theaters when Laura and I were long distance, so I was staying with her. I saw it in theaters, and when we get to the part where Lupita Nyong'o, playing her tethered version, playing Red, speaks for the first time, I instinctually just, like, immediately started sobbing. <laughs> it was just, like, my my pure primal fear reaction to seeing something that scared me so much and it wasn't like i got frightened or anything it was just like an immediate like she started talking and i started weeping and could not handle it and that night i came back home back to atlanta to emmett and i's apartment got home there was no one there the lights were off i was very frightened because i had i had driven for two hours in the dark thinking about this movie and got home and ran to my room and turned out the lights and emmett had been in new orleans And unbeknownst to me, very lovingly, very sweetly, had bought me a voodoo doll (laughs) as a souvenir while he was in New Orleans and had come back and left it on my bed for me (laughs) and then left the house. So I, like, truly terrified out of my mind, ran into my room, turned the lights on, and was greeted by this, like, voodoo lion staring at me from my bed. And I think, I truly think that I left the house. I feel like I went out and did something instead of hanging out there until you came home. Oh, I'm so sorry I sabotaged you that way. I didn't mean to. No, I mean, you you had no idea. That's that's my story about seeing this movie. What a ride. Oh, my. Did you guys see this in theaters? I believe I did. I know I saw it at a drive-in. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, drive-in in Greenwood, South Carolina. It was a triple feature. It was Pet Cemetery, Us, and... Oh, my God. Invisible Man with... Damn. Homegirl. Yeah, oh, it wow. was it was a night. And that, oh my god, that movie. Whew. That's a Elizabeth Moss double feature. You yeah, it is. Like. It is. And you know, I think in that night I learned the range that 
Elizabeth Moss has, despite her being a Scientologist, but... You know. Oh no! Is she really? You didn't oh, know? Oh my god! Oh, yes, know. she is. She is. That's she where is. she oh, no. gets those eyes from. <laughs> exactly. That makes sense now. <laughs> they hold classes at the Scientology Center. How to get the creepy eyes? <laughs> That's where Tom Cruise oh, got them no. too. Tom Cruise got them. Tom Cruise and um, John Travolta. Oh yeah, got those shiny Scientologist eyes. Damn. Church of Scientology. If you would like to add us, please email us at cinemabums at gmail dot com. <laughs> if you'd like to sponsor an episode, please. We need the cash. <laughs> we will be Scientology simp's for a mere twenty dollars an episode. That's my official plug. They honestly might hear you. I'm I'm so scared now. I assume they listen to everything. Right. Because they're everywhere. They're really, they're everyone. That's horrifying. What do you do to keep yourself safe from a Scientologist? I think you don't. I I, I, I don't know. (laughs) I just, I'm following Leah Remini and her documentary and her docuseries. And she is the beacon of hope, I think. Just, there is one train and it's conducted by Leah Remini. And it's the train to an anti-Scientology world. To freedom. Is she, is she about getting out of Scientology? Oh yeah, she was a, she was a big time in it she grew up in it and then the whole scandal went down with the president of Scientology's wife she went missing and Leah was like where did she go and they were like be quiet and they tried to like you know kind of bossing say the the daily like put her in a room and try to brainwash her kind of mess but she started asking more questions and uh eventually just realized like oh this is a, a load of bs so she got out and has been like I don't I don't even know when exactly, but she I mean you look it up. She has countless footage and, and, and interviews of her just completely denouncing and tearing apart Scientology for what it is. Wow. And she's even won. Did she win an Emmy? Yeah, she won an Emmy for it too. Wow. Which is mm-hmm. and even I think that's an even greater slap in the face to the church. So kudos to her, honestly. Yeah. For real. I am so interested by kids who grew up in cults, who were born into cults, and then, like, escape and try to live normal lives. I feel like I see a lot of interesting stuff about that. You know, that's what um, Joaquin Phoenix was. Mm. What? And River Phoenix. Like, his whole family was, like, his parents were in a cult. He was raised and born in a cult, and then... I think, like, when he was, like, 10, got out. And now I know why I'm going to stay up tonight. It's going to be looking up all of Joaquin Phoenix's cult childhood. Damn. (laughs) Thank you. That is something to keep you up at night. So a little bit of cultural context on this film. A big thing that Mm -hmm. plays into this movie is Hands Across America, which is this thing, this publicity stunt from 1986. A bunch of people... We're going to line up across America from coast to coast and join hands. And I read some really interesting stuff about it today, actually. The chain was not actually, like, continuous. You know, that's what they wanted. But it was not quite continuous. But it stopped in New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Mm. D.C., Columbus, Ohio, St. Louis, Memphis, Albuquerque, Santa Monica, all the way across, you know? It was said that even though there were breaks in the chain, there were enough people engaged in it to have stretched fully across the states on average because they like, because of when they would go through cities, they would do like, you know, crisscrosses and, you know, mazes through the cities to like line a bunch of people up from the cities to do it. But then when you get out in the desert of Arizona, it's a lot harder, less densely populated to get people actually out there to form the chain. But they said that if you could have like averaged the people who participated world or like nationwide, it would have gone from coast to coast. It was there to raise money for uh, the USA, the USA for Africa, which was a program that was donating money to aid and relief programs in Africa and also homeless shelters and like homeless aid in the United States as well. So it was like for a good cause. I believe it raised $15 million dollars. Not too bad, but also not as much as the budget of this film. So uh, that kind of tells you something about the difference between the film industry and the uh, charitable aid industry. I think that's like something that the young character sees 
right before she is taken and goes underground. And at the end, you see that's what she's trying to get all of the tethered to do. There's some weird through line with it. You talked about symbolism, Emmett, and I mean, the whole like reoccurring 1111 Mm-hmm. motif it's the the just the symbol alone of the uh was it hands hearts for america hearts for america hands for america hands across america hands hands cro- i wasn't even close hands across america with just that like four person in the line kind of thing that's the the main through line just the visual and the power that that had but any like emotional or you know literary depth i mean but that's the thing it, it gives you so much room to wonder and that's mm-hmm. it speaks to the brilliance that Jordan achieved with this. Let's just dive off the deep end here because I feel like with Get Out, it's a pretty clear metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that one of criticisms that people had about this movie was it being like a less clear metaphor, mm. but it's certainly something like deeply ingrained. So, like, what do you what do you guys think this movie is trying to say? Well, you guys remember that part when Adelaide asked Red, who are you? Mm. And Red was like, we are Americans. Okay. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, that's what she said. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, yeah. <laughs> and I remember hearing that for the first time being like, oh, uh oh, I think we're getting this. I'm here. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but it's just like I mean, yeah, they they are they're government funded, created mm-hmm. Americans in a mm-hmm. sense. You know, their identity is that, and how they are tethered to this nicer upper world. You know, and they're reclaiming their freedom. It kind of makes me think of like redlining and gentrification, and how I mean, even here in New York, there are so many like marginalized communities that have been pushed out and pushed to the extremes and and the outlines. They've been pushed so far beyond. And and perhaps there's a metaphor there where the the tethered people are kind of like, you know, representing those marginalized. And I read one critique that was like, well, the problem with the whole conflict is that because I don't really know a proper name for them, the earth dwellers, I'm going to say, just the upper earth dwellers, they, it wasn't their fault that the tethered were, you know, tethered and eating rabbits and all this mess but it's like well does it have to be their fault for them to take the the punishment i mean does Hmm. does blame have to necessarily fall on justice because it seems like when it's the other way around these impoverished communities they're not at fault for the conditions that make them so lower in society yet they receive the consequences for being in that status so it's like when you reverse the roles what gives you the right then to to put that same criticism on them so that was that was a very literal rabbit hole as i was breaking out from the noise outside of my window i agree with that a lot too watching this movie this time made me sad in a way that like specifically sort of like southern like poor poverty porn art or like chris sad christmas music does in the way that it's sort of like asking you to like look at all the horrors of your life and like the people directly around you who are in need, like really making you confront that in a big way. Like the reality is that for us to have privilege as Americans, like someone else somewhere else in the world is paying for that. You know, like for us to do like everything in our lives, for us to be like using a computer to talk to each other, like someone else is paying for that. And so that's kind of where my mind went to Mm. in terms of like those other like the people who are being neglected and are forgotten. But like in, in the case of this movie, in the metaphor, at least are also American and are paying the price for everyone to have the things they have, which it like isn't even this movie isn't even engaging with like levels of privilege although it kind of is with the difference between the two families the privileges this movie is talking about is like air and sunlight Mm. and warm food you know like the things that we consider essentials yeah but there are real people even in this country living without those things so like mole people i which i'm not sure that seems like perhaps not like the pc term for them actually now that i think of it mole people doesn't sound great cut this out of the podcast if we decide that that's not appropriate 
<laughs> but that's like a real thing. People living up underneath the up underneath like the city, especially in New York City, but other cities yeah. with like large underground systems. There are people taking shelter down there who like make an entire life that's subterranean. Those that's like the fringiest of fringe societies that I can possibly think of. That's completely like it's not it's your like that's below the poverty line that's like way below that i don't know that's crazy that's pretty like that's one of the things that i ran up on in my research about like the tunnel things it's like those are real and there really are people down there the idea of them being organized in this way or it be any supernatural thing is actually like like almost like nice in comparison to the reality of what is actually going on you know that like the opening text of the movie was truly terrifying to me the first time i saw it because it is real there is apparently just like a whole nother world that's built out underneath us that mostly no one uses and no one knows why it's there anymore so like that's a horrifying image horrifying but also somewhat exhilarating because you know what i kind of want to get lost I kind of want to. <laughs> I want to go on a on a tunnel hunt. Those exist, right? They have like t- tours of of different catacombs and chambers and stuff. My sister said when she lived in Romania, there was a place where you could just go underneath this city, and it was like an old catacomb, but you could just like walk in from this parking lot or something. That That's creepy crazy. as hell. Underneath there are those skulls. How do you guys feel about, I guess, like the lore of the tethered and the specific amount of explanation that we get? I feel like we're just sort of addressing the two things I heard people talk a lot about this movie up front was that like people weren't quite sure what it says and people felt like it maybe like invited too many questions by explaining as much as it does. To me, honestly, if you're like trying to dig into the lore and like unpick a movie and be like, but that couldn't happen because this thing, then like you've gotten pretty deep into your criticism of the movie. Like you've decided it's bad and you want to have reasons to pick it apart. Like most horror movies are not going to hold up under that kind of like world building scrutiny. They're going to be like, well, then why'd he go in that room at that moment? Like, had he never seen a horror movie before? Y- you know what I mean? It's like, that seems like unfair criticism to me in some ways. Absolutely. I agree. And it's not even like about suspending disbelief. I think there's a sufficient amount of explanation about the lore in, in the film. And there's enough for you to understand what's going on to really get, like you said, Wade, like, you need to care about Lupita's character, you know, and to really kind of sympathize and empathize with her. I think, personally, I was satisfied with it. Yeah, I wasn't trying to be glib with it. I just feel like that was a big <laughs> thing with this movie. Like, this was the most since maybe, like, The Dark Knight Rises that I feel like people have been talking about, like, plot holes. Well, what plot holes do they bring up? Just about, like, the specifics of how the tethered work how do they get their clothing how does everything in that underground society work how far does it reach people are really out here trying to get like the specifics of the world people are so boring you could be asking questions about (laughs) like the symbols and what the symbols mean and what you're supposed to glean from it but instead you want to pick apart like the mechanics of the world don't work that's a video game that's not art or like not like an art film you know what i mean like something that like works when you like in that clockwork fashion you don't have to worry about that stuff if you if you're jordan peele and you have statements to make and images to put to film you don't have to care if like all of the pieces line up in your world building forget that and i feel like that's a matter of perspective too like perhaps you know that's your way of thinking that it's like oh I don't see where they get the clothes from. Well, maybe there's another tunnel with with a clothing chamber. Did you think about that while you're while you're busy trying to, <laughs> you know, dig deep into your criticism? So it's just like I mean I don't know. It's part opening your mind, part just shutting up and enjoying the movie. Like, 
Come on. What was the best scare for you, Ooh. for both of you, on this on this specific rewatch that we did for this? Well, the thing that made me jump probably the hardest is the first time the owl pops out of her in the <laughs> haunted house. <laughs> I jumped. I jumped up out of my seat, and then I did it again. The second time it happens when she goes in as an adult at the end, it got me again. So the first time we see the the tethered family, and specifically when Pluto like jumps from the ceiling for some reason, that got me because mm. I just wasn't I wasn't ready. I think the the thing that has really stuck with me. We watched this last night, so in the day since, is in the final confrontation, that, like, truly horrifying shot where uh, Red's face is in the foreground, Mm. and she's doing these, like, insane things with her eyes as she monologues, while Adelaide is in the background. They've, like, put them both into the same shot. That's pretty crazy. Like, the things that she's doing with her voice and with her eyes and with her like physical movements is insane also knowing that her character that adelaide is the tethered one from the beginning i was watching it and i was like oh it is really hard for her to talk she really would prefer to not speak most of the t- like most of the time she's got this thing where she's like hyper focused on the horizon and like when the kids are bothering her it seems to like really kind of overwhelm her very quickly and like her reaction to losing the kid on the beach is like because nothing has happened yet it's like a little overreactive i would say you know like she really feels like he's gonna then he even says later like you thought i was dead didn't you like the dad was like oh we should go find the kid but he wasn't like immediately oh this child has been murdered on the beach but that's that's immediately where she goes so it's it's fascinating to watch her knowing i will say the first time i saw it like the twist totally got me like i had no idea whatsoever that anything was coming and then watching it this time knowing i was like wow they really kind of give it to you from the beginning yeah like it is all there and the thing that i think is really interesting about it is that i feel like if you didn't have the twist the movie still works Because, like, when you see the twist is when the action is finished. Like, they don't even reveal it in that big, like, showdown at the end. Mm -hmm. The whole movie plays out, and then you find out the twist. And it sort of just, like, recontextualizes everything that you've seen Mm -hmm. up until that point. Which is a really interesting type of twist. In that it doesn't impact, like, the forward-moving plot. It just changes what you think about what you've seen. Wait, any behind-the-scenes drama you'd like to enlighten us with? Well, I feel like we covered the main thing, which was like how they actually shot this movie. Mm-hmm. The idea for the movie was inspired by a Twilight Zone episode called Mirror Image, okay. which is about a woman who sees like her doppelganger at a bus stop. Oh, wow. Jordan Peele watched this as a kid and then had a traumatizing childhood event where he was on the subway and and saw himself or thought that he saw himself and that was like the the inspiration for this movie which is interesting because i think a lot of the movie is also about like how you deal with childhood trauma Mm -hmm. that was the main inspiration he also said in the reaction to get out that he wanted to make like a movie that was much scarier and had like a much more obscure message He said it took him a year from, like, starting to really work on it until they were finished filming, which is a really quick turnaround. Yeah. Especially knowing, like, that we talked about last episode, that Get Out was this idea that he had had for, like, 10 years. I feel like that's the thing they always say in music, is that you have, like, a lifetime to write your first album and then a year to write your second album yeah but you said he had pitched a bunch of ideas already was this one of the ideas that he had already pitched or no i don't know but i don't think so because i listened to an interview where he said like the breakthrough into this actually being a movie was thinking about the doppelgangers being a family because he was like i've seen doppelganger movies but i've never seen a family of doppelgangers that all look like a family of real Hmm. people how do you guys feel about the family in this 
um, and all of their dynamic and where they go after the movie. I wish I had a family as cool as theirs, first of all. <laughs> like, if Winston Duke was my dad, wow. I just I just love their dynamic. They were really fun. So Winston and uh, Lupita are, like, they're trained actors and, I mean... Because they, they both went to Yale, right? They went to Juilliard, Juilliard at the same Juilliard. time. At the same time? Mm-hmm. Whoa. They, like, are rock stars, and I think it's so cool to see them as, you know, really awesome black actors in, in these, uh, well, positive in a in a loose way family. It's a, it's a nuclear family dynamic, but it's, it's you know, not about black trauma so that was just like a really refreshing thing as mm-hmm. a black person to see it's just like oh wow i can enjoy these black bodies just existing in a space and like fighting through obstacles and it's not at the expense of you know their race or, or just having to ridicule themselves or it's about more of a deeper human conflict or, or whatever you know it don't always got to be about race but then at the same time it is uh, you know but so weird yeah. Yeah, I like them. I love Winston Duke in this. I think he's so charming. I love Jason. The kid is so cool. And his doppelganger is such a cool character climbing all over everything. And he seems to be like more empathetic than the rest of his family. Red says that she gave birth to a monster first. That her first kid, who's the daughter's doppelganger, is like totally crazy and evil i think there's something really cool with going on with him and i'm not sure exactly what it is but i think it's tied up with this fact that jordan peele in an interview called this a horror easter make of that what you will (laughs) i thought it was really interesting how the son they had a special relationship that was i mean just so literally empathetic and like they would mirror each other in every way to the point where Jason like killed his tether in, in that gruesome in that gruesome way in that fire. It, what made him so innocent and so like malleable? Uh, was it his age or his like like trauma? The tether specifically, mm. because he was like like you said he was just so I mean nicer for for lack of a better word he was kind of nicer than the other ones. Yeah, he's the only one you don't see really doing anything terrible. Right. He he almost kills them all, so I guess he does have that right. trick with the gasoline. But I even feel like that was Red setting him up for that, to just to be the bait, honestly, because she's there hiding behind the car the whole time. And that got me, because the shade of her suit matched the maroon of that car, and like I knew it was coming... But then I saw her come up. I was like, oh, oh, uh uh-oh, okay. Oh, man. It's so crazy when the daughter is being chased by the doppelganger and she goes down to look underneath the car and she gets on top. I was like, how? (laughs) Why? Why are you doing that? And then kills that poor man with his oh my god yeah wife beater on. he was just trying to he was just trying to go to sleep i guess i don't know yeah he just didn't want to kid up on his car <laughs> also oh her name is zora which is cool has it been 33 years since she disappeared 33 being an important and magical number i believe it has 2019 to 1986 so hmm. does that sound like long enough to organize an entire army of underground people to rise up and assassinate everyone on top with scissors seems like more than enough time honestly <laughs> Too much yeah time. she was she was honestly she yeah, she probably had a couple of years in there where she was just like yeah i i just want to make my grand entrance 33 years later so i'm just gonna take one off and pound a couple cold ones eat some rabbit uh <laughs> Just relax in my red my red full body suit. <laughs> what do you think about these the symbolism of these scissors? Well, okay, because the first time watching it this time, I kind of was looking at things a little differently, of course. And the first time I thought I saw them kind of in use was when you saw the Jeremiah eleven eleven um, homeless dude mm-hmm. on the gurney, and you could see the puncture wounds. 
mm-hmm. on that. And so it was just interesting. Like you can trace it that far back early to like that was that they there may have been an uprise just as early as then. But I mean that was just on the topic of scissors. It wasn't necessarily symbolism, but just made me think of you made me think of that. Mm-hmm. But with with the scissors as a symbol, I mean like just the picture of, of red cutting the mm. little people paper cutout thing and then literally those same that same device being used to kill their tethered is really awesome very direct if you were in adelaide's position uh-huh if you were like some sort of strange clone that had grown up underground you swapped positions you had spent your whole life not confronting this thing that you knew that no one else knew would you tell your husband would you tell your partner? No. I'm going to be real. I, I don't think I would. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm already a pretty bad liar. So I feel like the truth would eventually come out. I don't know. I feel like Adelaide did the best and kind of the most human thing that she could do in just pretending like things are normal and everything is fine. Because, I mean, that takes a lot of trust to... to tell someone and say hey so like i was born underground in a government research you know tunnel catacomb type thing and i traded places forcibly with my real life twin at that moment i would really be hoping that i signed a prenup because i think (laughs) our marriage would be done i feel like it's just one of those things you have to just wait until the cookie crumbles you have to like You'll be lucky if you wait, if if life is good. Thank goodness. But, you know, at any moment, this could fall. I completely 100% agree with you. Thank you. This is exactly what I said. (laughs) I said absolutely I would not. Absolutely not. No. No, no, no. You keep that as close to the chest as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Wait, I've got bad news for you. (laughs) I would. You I'd would? like I'd like to say I would. I don't know. I feel like in this specific situation where it's th- like the other people never knew the other version of you. If in the middle of dating someone else, I replaced my doppelganger and they had formed a relationship with the other person. No, I would I would never say. It. But like this is something that happened to you as a child and you have lived 30 years of your life. I don't know. I feel like they might like to know. I would want to, I feel like I would want to hear it. And I also feel like she almost tells him. I think if the other family doesn't show up in that moment, she is about to tell him because that is what he needs to hear to get them out of Santa Cruz, basically. That is interesting. She did come. That was like the first most vulnerable point I think we saw of Adelaide when she just mm-hmm. broke down like that. So you make a good point there. But you would want to hear, like, if you're, if Laura was a doppelganger, you would want to know. You really would want to know. I think I would. Okay. I think I would. I don't know. Would you not want to know? Like... I don't think I would. <laughs> I think I want to live in blissful ignorance. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair, too. But if, but if they told me, I would be, okay, you know, let's just talk about this a little bit, and then slowly but surely usher them to the you know to a hospital and get them checked out and and see what we can do about the situation (laughs) have either of you ever seen the film the birds by alfred hitchcock no yeah we had to watch it in high school the end of this movie is like an homage to the end of that movie where they're finally escaping from the town that's been besieged by all the birds and then they see the birds on the power lines and in this movie at the very end you just see the hands across america and you're like oh they're real screwed like when you said earlier where do i think the family goes from here i think they are toast like this is a really uplifting tale for them for this one crazy night but if it is those four against an entire underground army i mean it was it was hard enough for them to defeat just the two families of them i'm sorry but realism is not on their side in that case i could be wrong but didn't adelaide suggest them going to mexico did that happen yeah she did and that almost makes me think that like she knew that there was a point of freedom possibly oh so maybe they they hop back on that original idea and we're like okay let's just go to mexico because we know there aren't any doppelgangers there they did say they were americans so maybe it's Mm. only an american government experiment and the mexican government wasn't toying with such horrible things 
I do wonder how widespread it is. We see it in California, but I wonder if it is like across the whole country or if it was just sort of like a pilot program and they experimented with parts of it and then neglected others. I don't know. I think you see it's pretty widespread in that final shot. Mm Mm-hmm. I also think this movie is interesting because it's like a big budget horror movie, sort of on a bigger scale than we ever see them. Yeah. There are like five different horror movies within this almost because you've got like, I guess sort of the beginning and the end are of a piece with each other, like the vision quest, Mm -hmm. like high drama, one-on-one sort of scare stuff. And then there's like the home invasion stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Of, like, being trapped in this house and another family is haunting you. And then it almost becomes, like, an action movie or maybe, like, a slasher movie Mm -hmm. when they go over to the neighbor's house and they're playing cool music and you've got sort of these big crowd-pleasing kills and Mm -hmm. characters coming back to life and inventive weapons Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And then it's, like, briefly, like, a zombie outbreak movie. Where they're like, we got to stay in the car, and they're swarming everywhere around them, and just trying to stay on the move. And I feel like, you know, most horror movies are at most one of those things. Yeah. And you get all of them in this one. In less than two hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tight. Just like you said about Get Out, Wait, it is only the scenes you remember. If you Mm. think about it, you're like, oh, there's no filler in this film at all. Every scene is doing work. So who do you think is the protagonist in this film and what do they want? I might say something. I'm going to say something and and it might be controversial, (laughs) but I'm going to say Adelaide. And mm-hmm. like, as we know her, Adelaide, mm-hmm. she hopped out of the, the underground. Adelaide is our protagonist because sis did what she had to do. She did what she needed to do. <laughs> and if I put myself in her position, I think given the chance, I'd do the same thing. Nothing stopped Red from coming up out of there 33 years before. She knew how... I mean, like, yes, she was dragged down. But, like, I mean, you could follow your foot, follow, go backwards and and follow your steps or whatever. And I think she just... She wants to have a normal life, to just be really simple with it. But, I I mean, I don't know. I I could see other uh, possibilities and other, like, protagonists. But, like, that was honestly one that I was just like, you know what? I'm not mad at you. I'm really, I'm really not mad at you. And that last scene when she's looking at her son and she kind of smiles because mm-hmm. she's like, listen, I know you know, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it <laughs> at this point. Like, I, <laughs> I'm your mom, <laughs> you know? I respect that. I respect that a lot. That's gangster. Yeah, I think that smile is a connection back to the first time we see that Adelaide in the Hall of Mirrors when she just has this like huge wicked smile as she chokes red. Mm. Or who becomes red. And I think it's interesting that, like, when she's around the doppelganger, Adelaide is so full of fear, and then Red is sort of, like, gleeful about what's happening. And I think you see the inverse with Winston Duke's father, where he's, like, a very fun, joyful guy, and then his doppelganger has this, like, intense sorrow and anger. I think I I agree that it's Adelaide. I actually pretty much agree with everything Corey said. I think she's just, like, trying to protect what she has, or she wants things to stay the same. I also think protagonist is Adelaide. I believe what she wants to do is to protect her kids from the same fate that befell her or that like she that she rendered on the other on red Hmm. like specifically that on that trip like they are going back to that spot she knows it's extra risky she is freaked when she's like the beach what beach you see it on her face she knows she knows what she's up against this is why to me like the whole world building thing doesn't matter to me it's like a personal nightmare it is so all about her like personal mythos and her story that the rest of that stuff is incidental of like whether or not it ties together if it makes sense emotionally to her arc then it worked moving on into some less depressing territory who is our mvp other than the protagonist our mvp ota i know we were talking about elizabeth moss earlier but honestly she low-key might be my mvp in this and i will tell you why 
I just love the kind of like subplot. I, like I didn't notice it the first couple times I watched this, but like when she is talking to Adelaide about how she got work done and the dynamic between her and her husband, and then you look mm-hmm. at how it translates with her doppelganger and the like scars on her cheek, and then when she's playing like in the um, the mirror, or whatever, and is like putting on that lip gloss like a dog would put on lip like it has no idea what she's doing but she thinks you know she's pretty and then she takes that knife and she's like slitting herself and everything there's just like that kind of like the juxtaposition of like beauty and like i mean i don't know just the ugly and 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 a little bit of humor in there it was just it was very interesting to me to see and kind of focus in on and i just I appreciate Elizabeth Moss's uh, Moss her acting Scientology aside her terror too in the one shot where she's her actual character and she's like crawling on the ground oh, yes God. is crazy yes yeah the other thing about this movie too is that like all of these performances they didn't even have anyone to play on you know like you're playing off of like a stand-in who's maybe just like walking through whatever blocking you did yesterday it's crazy yeah that is nuts Wait, who's your MVP OTA? Uh, mine is in a movie that's pretty much all great performances. Mine is who I genuinely believe is the second best performance. Shahadi Wright Joseph as the daughter, Zora. The differences between the two roles are incredible. And I think specifically her tethered is like so scary. <laughs> Like, she is maybe the scariest one to me. And also, like, the physical, the physicalization that she brings to both of those, the way they're so different. I love, like, the very quiet scene of her at the beach with the twins. She's at that age where she doesn't quite fit in with the twins and doesn't quite fit in with her little brother, but she's still, like, willing to defend her little brother. I feel like that's, like, a pretty thankless role, like, teenager obsessed with her phone. But I think she brings a lot of soul to that character and you can like really see what she actually cares about beneath everything else you know emma who's your mvp oh it's hard but i think it's got to be young adelaide slash young red Ooh, mm-hmm. she is both very sweet as young adelaide and very terrifying as young red slash vice versa slash i don't even know anymore but she's really good those scenes i think she's given like stuff that is very important to make the movie make sense like that those scenes all have to land in just the right way to make the movie like pay off and make sense and for Mm -hmm. her to play both sides of that at such a young age is really impressive and she's totally creepy and you know like creepy kids man like that always makes it even creepier so it's that Stephen King thing. That's Madison Curry as young Adelaide and Red. Fantastic. It is pretty wild how many good children's performances Jordan gets out of the actors mm-hmm. in this movie. Yeah. How much of a family adventure it is for a movie that's also absolutely horrifying to behold. I mean, I feel like it has it has nods. It obviously makes like direct nods to Jaws with Jason wearing a Jaws t-shirt at one point. But it's like, it is like a Spielberg horror movie in that it is like very violent and very horrifying. But you also kind of know the family's going to come through okay because it's a family. And like, that's the rule. Like, I feel like at moments this film tests that and is like, do you know that? Are you sure they're all going to come through okay? Yeah, I feel like I fear most for the dad yeah but even like even when they kidnap the son like they don't really do any like she's not holding him at knife point or they're not like dangling him in danger's way like it is sort of between you know adelaide and red so now is the part of the pod where we get to play a little quiz back by popular demand our listener loves this part of the pod it is a recurring quiz for our can't stop the peeling pod and it is called bums the word in this game we look at the six other movies that are more like this on imdb so if you want to play along at home you can pull up this. And I'm going to try and get you to guess them. I'm going to give you hints. So, Corey, please do not pull it up for you. You're going to work together to try and guess the names of the six other movies that IMDb thinks you would like if you like this movie. Are you ready? No, but 
You know what? I'm ready to have fun. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> this first movie, it is a horror mystery thriller. It came out in 2017. Is it Get Out? It, it is Get Out. Oh, that wow. is correct. Me I feel like too. the first one is always like the most related. Yeah. All right. This next movie is a drama horror mystery. Get this. This is this is the tagline. This is this is what it's telling me. A grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. Any guesses? Pet cemetery. No, but good guess. Is it hereditary? It- it is hereditary. Ah. All right. Next up, we have um, from the from the year 2017, a movie that is rated as only horror. 17. Okay. 2017. If I tell you anything more about this movie, you will know exactly what movie it is. Um, did Midsommar come out in 2017? When did that come out? No, no, Midsommar is a different year. Uh, also, is it Midsummer or Midsummer? I don't. I don't want to sound Mid- like Midsummer. Midsummer. I don't know. I don't know which way to say it. Midsummer seems more natural. Emma, are we ever going to do Aster? I can't. And that's I can't. kind of how I feel about I, it. Too. I will not watch Hereditary again. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a hit it and quit it right there. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. No kidding. <laughs> I I saw it once, and that was more than enough. Yeah. Uh, but this yeah. this next movie uh, from the 2017, it's an adaptation of a famous work of literature. Is it it? Yes. Chapter one? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, the next movie, 2019, a movie that you were just discussing. Invisible Man. Pet Cemetery. Even more, recent, even more recently than either of those two. Oh, oh, uh, Midsummer. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> It is the Florence Pugh vehicle, Midsommar. All right. The the fifth movie on this list is a 2018 drama horror sci-fi. It is also, you could think of it as a family drama comedy. Sorry, not, not comedy. Mostly just drama action. But Bird Box? No, but similar. A Quiet Place? It is indeed A Quiet Place. Ah. And the last film on this IMDb is from 2013. It is a horror mystery thriller. Oh, God, 2013. Yeah, it's old. Oh, man. It is about a family terrorized by a dark presence in their farmhouse, if that helps anyone. Is it um, The Conjuring? It is indeed. Wade, I believe this is the exact same set of movies with Get Out switched with us as it was last week for uh, yeah. Get Out 6. Yeah. This is a true disappointment, IMDb. Do better. You are officially <laughs> called out, IMDb. Do better. Yeah, I feel like we have to maybe find a different source for the quiz. Okay. Or do a different angle. Okay. Because also, like, whenever we were looking at whenever it's a series, uh-huh. a la all the series, Jurassic Park or yeah. Batman, it's just like all of the six movies are just the other movies in the series. Yeah, you're right. Okay, well, it's too late for tonight. We'll brainstorm. It's too late for tonight. I did have kind of a backup thing. Listeners could call in and tell us what state they live in, and I could tell them how many abandoned tunnels there are in that state. <laughs> but we can save that we can save that for on down the road some other time Um, it looks looks like we should be wrapping up roundabout now for Um, when we talk about another movie that has abandoned tunnels oh as above so below oh um Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Oh, has or Teenage Mutant Ma- Ninja Turtles. Wow. Wow. Okay, so really we have lots of options. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you have any final thoughts on this film, Corey? I finally listened to the lyrics of um, that song by Minnie Ripper, Tim, that they play at the end. Um, mm. I, I don't know how to... It's flowers in French. But, like, I didn't realize that it was from the perspective of a flower. Because she's like, will somebody wear me in their hair? And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. But then I'm like, oh, wait. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's so many tethered people on the planet. This is crazy. But that, yeah, that's just my final thought. 
just a sudden realization of great truth an epiphany if you will wait any final thoughts any epiphanies i'm not sure i had any epiphanies i wrote down the ending to this movie is so metal which i think it really is i think this is the most metal movie we've done since first class when it's like they gotta go down to the subway Mm -hmm. they've gotta dude that shot the shot of her on the escalator just like taking the slow ride down into the final battle i guess is um a little bit video gamey but in like the coolest way yeah and i love this movie in general i feel like those like 30 minutes you get to spend with the family before anything happens Mm. are like so essential to carrying you the rest of the way and i love um the humor i guess we didn't talk about this but i feel like this is a much funnier movie than get out i love that they punctuate sort of all the horror with what feels like very true to the character comedies and i love the moment where they start playing good vibrations by the beach boys as they murder people and i love that alexa is called ophelia emmett any final thoughts about us I mean, we didn't even really talk about the rabbits, but the rabbits are creepy. The rabbits are really creepy. Mm. There's some Watership Down symbolism. But the thing that I really want to say here is there's some pretty great things that feel resonant with, like, old-timey American Gothic uh, short stories. Like the work of um, specifically ray bradbury is who i'm thinking of with like the whole idea of like this cursed fair where like the mirror room is taking children in and stealing their souls or something is like very ray bradbury and the the idea that he got this from watching an old uh twilight zone episode like that all totally tracks too of like this creepy americana folklore nightmare is so cool I can't wait to see what he does next. Oh, yeah. Do you think that there is any tangible connection between this and Get Out that pays off down the line in Jordan Peele's movies? Like, do you think they're really just each sort of their own world? Or do you think that Chris from Get Out is somewhere out there dealing with his tethered in a different part of the world at this time? Or the same groups are behind it or XYZ? I'd like to believe so. Because I think that leave room for more, you know, future developments, maybe. I mean... They nothing within the two pieces contradicts with either one. It's mm. still the same time period. So I, I mean, maybe why not? You know, I would just yeah. say, poor Chris. <laughs> I also just feel like the fact that they were wearing red and they are like untethered from reality and they are so called like the unheard from Americans. Like that's also this feels like a big metaphor for like rural red states like the people felt like came out of the woodwork came out of nowhere but was like really there the whole time i feel like there's something to that too i feel like the clearer tie if we want to dive into the politics kind of feel like the tethered are like the people who are being taken advantage of by the american system Mm. uh who are being left behind Mm. and deny like basic necessities i feel like kind of the family that are our protagonists are like a liberal family and their friends are like a conservative family sure and that we see like major differences between the two and they kind of get on each other's nerves but at the end of the day like they are both so much better off than the Mm -hmm. people that they're neglecting yeah you know that's yeah. true. Like, they are so concerned with each other when, like, the thing that they should be concerned about is <laughs> rising up to kill them at that very moment. Yeah. Right. Well, cool. I do think that we just got so used to seeing horrible horror movies during the previous administration. Yeah. Like, watching this now, I was like, wow, we really were just used to this. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. We really were just so used to seeing horrible things that they just kept escalating the horror movies and we took it in stride. Yeah. All right, Corey, do you have any uh, anything to plug, any projects you're working on, uh, anywhere the people can find you and your voice, your work? Well, uh, I'm not doing any projects at the moment, but you can find me on Instagram at Corey of My Life for some spicy content, uh, some great Instagram stories. And if you'd like, follow my Twitter at, at Twitter. I sometimes I'll hit my T's, my bad, at Corey of My Life, PT2. As in part two, but there, there is no AR, just the PT and the number two. Is the Instagram part one and the Twitter's part two? 
Yes, but there is no part one attached. It's just, you know, Corey of My Life. I tried to put in Corey of oh, My sure, Life on sure. Twitter, but that was already taken. We do what we must. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, really. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yes, having thanks you on. for being here. Always a pleasure. And thank you to all those of you listening at home, all three of you, maybe, that our numbers have gotten up to at this point. We really appreciate it. Come back and listen to us on Friday for our special ranking episode and our reveal of the next series. Thanks for listening. As ever, we love you. Good night. Stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcast. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes this podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week. 